Love is in the air, fellas. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. But we have some good news for you. Thanks to our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. We have the right tools for your family jewels, so you're ready for that special day. Over 2 million people worldwide are trusting Manscaped for their grooming needs. I'm one of them. Mero is one of them. I would highly recommend becoming one of them. Look, it's 2021. You can't be walking around with an 80s porn star bush on you. It's bad manners. It's bad manners. And I get it. You know, global pandemic, lockdown. Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to do these things for? Sure, who cares? Tinder is basically shut down. You can't be having casual acquaintances, shall we say. There's more to life than that, lads. If you're in a relationship, you got to stay ready. And if you're not, then you're doing it for yourself. Why settle for anything less than great? Like, thanks to Manscaped. And thanks to the Perfect Package 3.0, you'll be perfect every time. It's led by the Lawnmower 3.0, which is their revolutionary trimmer with advanced skin-safe technology. And that features a cutting-edge ceramic blade uh, to, to reduce all those kind of grooming accidents you might have experienced in the past. No more nicks, no more scratches, no more tugs. Those silky smooth, beautiful grooming. It makes a hell of a difference. This thing has a 90-minute battery. It's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. You don't have to worry about cleaning the sink or cleaning the floor afterwards and all that kind of crack. Um, it's just it's just handy. It's so convenient, so easy, so smooth. All these products that feature in the Perfect Pack 3.0, including Crop Preserver, including Crop Reviver, you get Manscaped boxers with are anti-chafing and they're super comfy. All of them are included. So look, if, if your loved one is here, scratching their head and wondering, what am I going to get them? for valentine's day the shops are all closed you can't go out for a meal nice romantic dinner like you would you're probably going to be doing something at home you need to make sure that you're ready drop the hint hit them up manscaped.com put in the code w-t-s-p-o-d you'll get 20 percent off and free shipping it's the perfect gift and you're getting a discount thanks to us so head on over manscaped.com w-t-s-pod at the checkout you'll get 20 percent off and free shipping. Happy Valentine's Day from us and Manscaped. Hello, everybody. Welcome to WTS 2. 125. My name is Danny Murray. And my name is Graham Merrigan. How are you, Danny? Oh, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm tired, Graham. I'm very tired. Yeah. Uh made the made the mistake uh, of staying up to watch the fights at last January weekend. Blues. I don't know. I don't know I'm not right, January Blues. I think it's just I'm old, so when I upset my sleep pattern, I um, Yeah. You know, and it wasn't it was a the fight card was grand, like, but was it worth staying up for? I, I don't know. I think I think it kind of cemented what yourself and myself were discussing on the podcast last week about a kind of I like MMA. I don't love MMA anymore. Yeah, you know what I do love about MMA though is the some of the journalism that came out of it over the last week. It's been absolutely amazing. Phil O'Connor had a wonderful piece in the Irish Independent, friend of the podcast. And then he also appeared on other friends of the podcast, PC Carroll's uh, podcast, The Bash. Um, mm. And it was a great conversation. And PT as well, the stuff he's doing for BT and everything else in the build-up to it. A lot of time for all of that. I thought that was good, solid. Well, Phil, Phil, Phil and PT 
are the cream of the crop when it comes to Irish MMA. So yeah. any time that I was so I was delighted that PT got um got called by BT and BBC as well gave him a shout as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's his work well recognised. And you know, Phil Phil would talk for Ireland. So well, well, that's the truth. That's the truth. But yeah, completely agree with you. PT to me is being probably the top. MMA journalist in Europe now for a number of years and long may it continue he's absolutely brilliant and then there's very little that uh, Phil O'Connor has put a pen to that I haven't enjoyed so fair play to the two lads absolutely loved it but um, yeah how are I'd you this Phil, week Carol? Phil talks so much that I'd say he was going mad that the article was probably only a 3000 word requirement <laughs> I'd say he was like twitching that oh my god how am I supposed to end this how am I like he doesn't know what a full stop is because he's a waffler love you Phil <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing anyway, Mero? Yeah, I'm good. A uh, bit tired. I didn't stay up for the fights. Um, I haven't watched. I seen the finish to the main event. That was about it. Yeah. Um, but there's no way I'll be staying up till six a.m. anymore. I'm too old and I've got a dog. So yeah, yeah. So unless it's the Royal Rumble, you're not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? If the Royal Rumble it was in, is there going to be a crowd at the Royal Rumble? No, no. Well, I don't, I don't know, but I presume not a chance. I presume they're yeah, doing it in I, the I Thunderdome watched, or whatever they're calling it. I have not watched professional wrestling uh, since the pandemic because I always watched it for the live crowd reactions, mm. and I just can't take to it without the live crowd reaction. I'm, I'm afraid. But that's. But did you? I know. I'm, you... I'm probably missing out because Shane, Shane adores uh, AEW Dynamite. And uh, he's absolutely loving the storylines, the, the week to week, the consistency yeah. of it all. And uh, I would just love the convenience of having that on the Sky Player, where you could just go back and record or series yeah, link yeah. it and all. But you just, you know, you can't. So yeah, well, it it is Royal Rumble weekend. So before we get to our guest, will we will we go old school here, Graham, and we do a little bit of housekeeping? Okay. And just your favorite Royal Rumble moment? Do you have one? Oh, ah, the, 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 like, grown up, I adored Hulk Hogan. Mm. However, oh. the greatest Royal Rumble moment is Royal Rumble 1992 when Ric Flair won it and his post Royal Rumble interview. What a tear just, in my eye! Uh, he is just <laughs> unbelievable. And I would, anyone who was uh, of a fan of the vintage. Uh, late 80s 90s professional wrestling and particularly Ric Flair just follow his Instagram page because he puts up um, in, uh, his interviews from, from yesteryear and I always end up sharing them on my Insta story because they're absolutely iconic like you said though with a tear in my eye yeah. and there's blood pouring down oh, his no, face yeah. is there actually oh, yeah. blood or is it just sweat no I, I think there's a, I can't remember actually that is my because I haven't, I haven't watched that clip in a long time, but I I, I know the exact. I'm definitely uh, gonna watch it after this. We record this. See, it's weird, right? Because like I I know the exact one you're talking about, but I I watched that when I was in my teenage years because I would have been too young yeah. to watch it at the time. Like, but the first Royal Rumble I remember was uh, Shawn Michaels British Bulldog when they both entered Brilliant. one and two, and Brilliant. yeah, unbelievable that was. David Boy Smith was like a big baby face at the time, so everyone thought he won it. Yeah, and then Michaels skinned the cat, as they say, and oh, only one foot touched the ground, and they had like the camera zoomed right in on it, and it was like, oh my god! Like, god. Danny, it, you were saying there that you were a teenager when you watched um, Ric Flair in 1992. Yeah. 
I was um, eight years of age, right? And in my granny and granddad's room, I watched that on the scramble. No way. <laughs> Live. I got up to watch that oh on the scramble. God. Yeah. And I was listening to it on the scramble and you could make out the colours. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, Ric Flair's after winning the Royal Rumble. That's and I didn't amazing. appreciate it. I appreciated it as, as life went on. I didn't appreciate it there and then. But it's yeah. it's one of my favourite uh, moments. Um, and a lot of the, a lot, there's a lot of entertaining parts of the Royal Rumble as well. Absolutely. Like the, the bit, the, the one where um, Jerry Lawler hid under the ring for ages is brilliant. Yeah. Or the one where Jerry Lawler's commentating and his music goes, he gets in the ring and Bret Hart's closed eyes him outside the ring. Yeah. Or the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers the, oh, get eliminated. The Bushwhackers out of, yeah, them. And yeah. then, uh, it was a Santino Morella then he he got the one and oh, he was yeah. like, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. They <laughs> call that yeah, the Bushwhacker spot now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but, who do we have, Dan? Well, yeah, well, just anyone. Like, look, it is Royal Rumble weekend and we get it, right? We're grown men and we're talking about pro wrestling. Don't care, lads, right? Still real to me and all that, right? So uh, tweet us at WTS pod. Let us know your favourite Royal Rumble memory. Why not, like? Yeah, it's on absolutely. Sunday if anybody's interested. Uh, yeah, so our guest this week, Mero, uh, he's returning to the podcast. We had him on before, and uh, people really uh, enjoyed it. We got a great reaction to it. He's a retired army captain, author, security analyst, parent, activist, uh, all-round good guy, the one and only Dr. Tom Clonan. Tom, how are you? I'm good, Graham. How are you? How are you good. doing? It's, it's been a while, and we had made loads of... Uh, we had tried to get it out at the second edition of Dr. Tom Clown over the line on a few occasions and we never quite got there, but we're back now and uh, thanks for your time as always. You're very welcome. I'm only sorry we're not all up in uh, Kalini Castle. I know, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we miss our humble abode. We do, uh, we do. I know, yeah. God, God be with the days when we could actually leave the house and meet people in, in real time. This is and how are you finding it all? I'm getting haircuts. I know, God. Yeah. How are you yeah, finding I mean, it all with, with the kids and with, with Owen uh, and, and, and stuff like that? So I suppose like uh, everybody else, you know, um, with with the school closures in January uh, after Christmas, like we're all we're all stuck in the house. We're all working from home. Um, and uh, thankfully, we're all healthy. Um, we have one person in the house who's a, a frontline uh, healthcare worker who works in Connolly Hospital. And so, you know, you're kind of dealing with the risk that that poses, you know, coming home every day um, and just waiting. I suppose really like the rest of the country are wait, waiting for vaccines at this point, you know. Yeah. Hopefully that will be the, the way out of this. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's very distressing for people. And like, I mean, I'd say for anybody, you know, listening to us, uh, um, you know, in a previous life as an army officer in in an overseas in the Middle East in, in a very violent situation where there was a lot of risk, a lot of threat and a, a lot of violence. Um, it was stressful and it was uh, it was difficult. But but this is also very, very difficult for people. So I would say to people, you know, don't don't be. Um, kind of beating yourself up, you know, you know, the way people talk about snowflakes and they say, oh, you know, it's nothing, you know, the supermarkets are open. All you have to do is, you know, stay at home and watch Netflix. But I actually think it's that that's that's unfair to people mm -hmm. here. 
it's actually a very, very stressful, distressing thing to be confined and to have the uncertainty for almost a year now with with no sign, uh, no horizon, no date at which you can say this will all be over. So I think cumulatively over time, daily, weekly, monthly, people who can't see their loved ones, who have no control over their choices, whether it's about work or college or school, it's very, very stressful. And so Mm. people shouldn't feel guilty about feeling stressed or feeling distressed. It's, I would say, compared to what I've experienced in the past, yeah, this is up there. You know, it's not easy. At least least back in the day when I was in the army, I knew the date at which, uh, you know, whatever overseas deployment, I knew when it was over. I had a return ticket. And I knew exactly the day when it was all over and I could count down the days. But for this thing, COVID, there's no end date. And I think that's that's the most difficult thing for people. I think people would probably settle in their nervousness if there was an end date. You know, when when the Minister for Health gives us a, a. I suppose he says that we're all anyone who needs the vaccine will be vaccinated by September. Um, that gives some light at the end of the tunnel. But at the same time, because of the, the track record of the government, I do be asking myself, which September? This September or next? <laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll be all over by Christmas, like the first <laughs> yeah. war. Do you know uh, what I mean? Well, you know, I mean, in fairness to, uh, and, and I'd be very critical of government most of the time, um, I don't envy any of them um, the the task of trying to manage this thing. But uh, so, you know, if if the Minister for Health says September, you know, we don't know. But he he doesn't know either. He doesn't know. Yeah. N- neither does, you know, Michal Martin doesn't know. Uh, Leo Varadkar doesn't know. Neither does Mary Lou or uh, Eamon Ryan, if he's awake. Uh, they, they don't know. So in fairness to them, you know, like, I don't envy them their task. And uh, but I suppose all all we can do as individuals and as, you know, whatever your primary role is, whether you're like a carer or a parent or a worker or a colleague. Is just to be, uh, I think, kind to one another just at the moment. It's a very tough time. There's an element creeping into the discourse of blaming people. You know, we have these, you know, angry discourses about all people coming home from Tenerife or people who don't obey the restrictions. I don't think that's useful. I think we just need to be uh, generous towards each other, be kind, be understanding. And like I, I'm out walking the dogs and the the, the assistance dogs and I'm out um, with Owen trying to get him a bit of fresh air. And I see some people are very, you can see it in them. They're very stressed. They're very fearful. They're very frightened, whether it's in Tesco or Super Value or out in the park. You know, you can see some people are really, really freaked out by this thing. And uh, maybe two years ago, I would have kind of gone, gosh, uh, what's wrong with that person? But now I kind of say to myself, that person is suffering. And, you know, you wouldn't know what's going on in the background or what their fears are. So I think we just have to be patient with one another and and be generous and and be kind, you know. That's it. Um, you, you mentioned there getting even, out. Even even to even to government ministers, I think we have to give them a bit of a. <laughs> I think we have to be no. I think we have to be, try and be constructive and positive. Just 
at the moment. But go on anyway. Sorry, I cut across you. No, you're grand. You're grand. Um, you, you mentioned they're trying to get out with with own and with the, with the dogs and that. Um, D- Duke's gone into retirement now, has he? That's right. So Duke is own's uh, assistance dog from Dogs for the Disabled, and uh, in February of last year, just before Leo Varadkar made a speech from Washington and said, "Look, you know, we have to. I need to talk to you about the coronavirus." That's the first sentence, which set the tone for the year. Um, Duke was supposed to retire then. Uh, His birthday actually was St. Patrick's Day. And uh, because of coronavirus, his retirement was postponed. Um, But when we had an easing of restrictions in May, June, uh, his his replacement, Leahy, arrived. So Leahy is now with us. He's bonded very well with Owen. Brilliant. He's been with us now for eight months and he's working very well with Owen. And Duke is just retired, taking it easy, old age pensioner. But he's <laughs> thankfully he's in great health. What's and he doing in his great. retirement? Like, is he just instead of being by Owen's side, is he going into the sitting room or is he wrecking the place or <laughs> is he like, ah, oh, this is brilliant? Uh, it, it was actually interesting. So, uh, because, because of Owen's disabilities, you know, his wheelchair user. Um, because of the neuromuscular disease, he's partially sighted. He's got a couple of different challenges, but like we live in an ordinary, um, three, you know, four, three, three bedrooms, semi-detached house. And um, so Owen sleeps downstairs. So his bedroom is downstairs. Mm-hmm. So he converted one of the rooms downstairs in, in, to be his bedroom. So he's down there on his own and we're all upstairs. And when Duke came, Owen was only eight. Um, so, you know, you can imagine at eight years old, you're the only person in the in in the house that's downstairs at night. And, you know, apart from everything else, he would have been a bit nervous. So Duke has always slept on the floor beside him. And oh, that's been a great comfort, you know, and, and Duke is a big, he's a big animal. He's a big golden retriever mm-hmm. and a very affectionate, very uh, kind of reassuring, calm figure. So for the last eight years, um. Duke has been on, asleep on the floor beside Owen. So when Leahy arrived, it's really important that Leahy and Owen, that partnership is forged. So the first night that Leahy arrived, we had to take Duke out of where he'd been sleeping every night for eight years and put Leahy in. And um, it was amazing. Duke, Duke figured it out. And he went in and he picked up, he has a like a little sheepskin rug and he picked it up in his mouth and he brought it up to the top of the stairs somewhere he'd never gone before. And he lay down on the landing and that's where he's been ever since. But it, no they're way. Just, wow. Yeah, they're just extraordinary animals. You know, they know yeah. instinctively that there's a change. Uh, and that was actually very moving. So what, what happens now is, so when you ask the question, what does Duke do? So in the nighttime, Leahy's in beside Owen on the floor beside his bed and Duke just comes up every night and he lies on the landing and he's kind of, he can see the whole house. He can see all our bedroom doors and he can see down the stairs and he's, uh, yeah. So that's what he, that's what he does. But um, Duke definitely has been a great influence on Leahy. So Leahy's uh, fully trained and he's a great dog, but he's young and he's Mm. impulsive. (laughs) And uh, so Duke just lies down and, um, kind of shows him, you know, models his behaviour as an older dog. He's very relaxed and very chilled out. And it, the, the two of them get on really, really well. 
That's amazing. Uh, it's, an isn't it? it's hard to explain. It's an extraordinary thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. No, it's amazing. Dogs are they're, amazing. They're, great, they're a great company for each other. And, you know, they, you know, Leahy goes out to work with Owen and goes off with him every day. And Duke just takes it easy. Uh, he it's goes for one walk. Isn't it that you, they can just be trained like that? I just love it. Like, mm. yeah, yeah. But uh, he's, uh, yeah, they're, you know, and, and they're, they're different, you know, they're different personalities. So they're both very, very good workers. Um, but Leahy definitely is more, he's a more impulsive animal um, he's more reactive. And mm. um, so uh, in all the years that we've had Duke, um, he, he only barked maybe once in the whole of the eight years. Whereas Leahy, uh, if somebody comes into the front garden day or night, it doesn't matter if they just put their foot over the line in the concrete between the footpath and the driveway. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a cat, a human, the postman, postman are human and women. Um, <laughs> anybody who puts their foot over that line, Leahy will go, whoa, 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 you know, little bit of a bark. And, and it's amazing. So we know, like he can sense somebody coming into the space and he'll talk about it, you know, he'll, he'll yeah. do his little bark. Whereas Duke would never have barked, you know. You'd mm. you'd be you'd be actually on top of him before you'd even see him, you know. So <laughs> I, love, just, I love the way you say different. there, um, Lee will talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that's what well, it is, that's what it is you know. Yeah, yeah no, he, he he has something to say about it, you know. He, he you I'm, know he's barking, but he's saying to everybody, hey, "There's somebody here," you know. And, yeah, and how? So uh, sorry, I was just going to ask, and how is Owen getting on in general? Because I think. It was was it probably I I can't remember when I seen it but I seen you you were doing a, a tour of Europe um in I think it was a, a transit and the transit ended up getting robbed in and oh yeah Jesus that's right, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That was, yeah like so so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in in the time before COVID so uh, so Owen's doing his leaving cert this year and he's in great form and uh, good to hear you know obviously with school closures uh, and especially with uh students that have additional needs uh he's in a bit of a a bit of a bind at the moment we don't know yet what the leaving cert is going to look like um between fifth and sixth year with covid closures he's lost about a quarter of the whole academic cycle yeah. um and you know kids students with additional needs um don't respond very well um, to the virtual learning space, they need to be there with their SNA or with their scribe or whoever, but they need to be there face to face with the teacher. So he's, he's uh, suffered a bit because of that. But, uh, but what you're referring to, the tour of Europe. So um, the, the year before COVID in 2019, um, myself and Owen set off out, uh, we, we went from Dublin to Berlin by road in the Ford Transit, which is adapted for his wheelchairs. But we've been doing that every year for the last 20 years. So, mm. um, so that, you know, you go through uh, England, North Wales. So it's Hollyhead to Dover, or sorry, Hollyhead, Dunleary, sorry, Dublin to Hollyhead. Yeah. And then down to Dover, Dover to Calais. Um, so it took about three days to get to, to Berlin. Then we went to Auschwitz. And the reason why we went to Auschwitz was because during transition year, Owen um, had spinal surgery. He had the uh, 
surgery for scoliosis. So he had this the the, the fix of his spine to straighten him up. And he missed the school tour to Auschwitz and he missed the school tour to Rome to see the Colosseum and all those things. So we said um, in the summer of 2019, we drive to all those places so he could see them. So we went to Auschwitz and um, today actually is uh, Holocaust World Holocaust Memorial Memorial. Day. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, 76 years ago, Auschwitz was liberated. So Owen, Owen does history for the Liebensert. He was very interested in Auschwitz because um, at the beginning of the Holocaust, um, the first victims of you know mass calculated extermination were people with disabilities. So the, the Nazis came up with this program called Action T4, or uh, you know to 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 murder uh, like literally three three hundred thousand people with physical and uh, intellectual disabilities. So Owen was interested in that. Um, they murdered a lot of these uh, children and adults in Auschwitz. So we arrived there, we, we drove to Berlin, and then we went into, into Poland proper, down to Auschwitz. And it's the most extraordinary place, because we were there in July in the summer. It's a really beautiful area, lots of forests. Um, and parked the car in the car park on, on the disabled parking bay outside Auschwitz with the sign Our Bite Macht Frei. Uh, went in, there was a bit of a problem at the gate um, they didn't want to let him in with Duke, the assistance dog. Um, they said that the wheelchair would be a security problem. So we actually got separated at the gate from everybody else in the tour. And it was almost like a, a reenactment of the separation of people on arrival at Auschwitz wow, on the basis on the basis of him, you know, not being um, able bodied. Yeah. And I'm sorry to say this now, but they were very, they were very, very offensive and very, very rude. This is the the sort of the security staff at Auschwitz. And you mm. have to understand it's a big memorial site for the murder of, of Jews um and gay people and slavs and so there was a risk back then of attacks from groups like islamic state so he got separated but long story short um they eventually let us in and we got an apology from the director of the museum mm. um but not before the the person who separated us from everybody else said i don't make the rules here i'm just following orders Oh, Jesus. And, and I said, you know, we were part of a tour group. There were people from Sweden, from Holland, from the UK, from Germany. And we all had these headphones on. And when, when the person said this, you know, I don't make up the rules here. I'm just following orders. I said to him and everybody could hear, including Owen, I said, do you not realize what you've just said, you know, yeah. and where we are? Anyway, the... Uh, we got a lot of support from the other tour group members, which was great, particularly the Swedes and the Dutch, because mm. they have a really strong uh, human rights ethos in their societies. Yep. So they were, they were saying to the tour people and to the authorities at the Auschwitz Memorial, they were saying, this is unacceptable. You know, you can't, you, you, you can't, this is a cultural and historical site in which people like Owen were persecuted and murdered. Yeah, you can't deny him access on the bay because he is he's a wheelchair user. 
Um, so anyway, we we um, um, we overcame those obstacles. And we How long got did our ordeal go on for, Tom? Uh, it went on for about an hour, actually, and uh, we we brought it up on Twitter. And funnily enough, we 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 got a lot of support um, from I remember, yeah, in Ireland, you know, two thousand miles away, um, people like Jerry Adams, uh, Mary Lou Macdonald, Sinn Fein. We're, they had this hashtag, let them in mm. to Auschwitz. Uh, and we also had support from people like uh, Cormac Devlin from Fianna Fáil. So we had a cross-party support of politicians at home. So we, we it got a bit of momentum. And uh, the the museum, the office of the museum director contacted us there. And, you know, they got word down to the gate saying, listen, what's going on down here? There's a bit of a kerfuffle on social media. So I suppose it shows how um, social media can can work in a positive way. Because, yeah. You know, I don't think if it hadn't been for that, I don't think necessarily that we would have got the attention of the of the director's office. But once the misunderstanding, we'll call it, was ironed out, and um, they were very very helpful, and we got in. And ironically, the first building we went into, uh, and the buildings in. Um, in Auschwitz, the, the the memorial, the museum, they're not accessible. So I had to carry Owen in his wheelchair up the steps in. And ironically, in that first blockhouse, uh, the it was there was a wall displayed. It was the, the wall was made of glass, and behind the glass, there were hundreds of crutches and canes, prosthetic limbs, little wheelchairs, where you know taken from people with disabilities who were then immediately gassed because they couldn't work. And, and Owen, you know, had a good look at that. And yeah, that was, um, that was a very, very powerful moment because I suppose of what it communicated in a very real way to Owen, but also because we had been refused entry yeah. on the basis of, you know, on, of how, how does Owen, how does Owen um, react to those, discriminatory experiences because it's obviously it obviously happens quite a bit at home with his uh, challenges with with the dirt so how, how does he as he gets older how is he reacting to those discriminatory? i mean owen, owen is very philosophical um at the time when that happened you know owen said to me um and i say this owen owen is entitled to his view he's he he is a person who would have been murdered by the Nazis. Absolutely, mm. hands down. Me he too. belongs to... <laughs> huh? Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Me too. Uh, and he said to me when, when we started to experience the um, difficulties to get in, like we have in so many other places, he said, oh, well, this is Auschwitz. You know, he said, I expected it to be like this. So he made a joke of it and he and he he used black humor to try and navigate his way through. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, how does he feel about it? I suppose Owen is inclined to say to me, um, oh, look, don't worry. It's OK. It's it's a, it's not a problem um, because he, he he doesn't want to go there every time. Yeah. You know, we like you have to get the boxing gloves on. So uh, as you know, yeah, 
Um, Depends what mood you're in, doesn't it, Tom? Yeah, and you just get, sometimes you kind of go, well, certainly Verone, he just kind of, sometimes he feels it's not worth the, the effort. But then, you know, after Auschwitz, which was an incredible uh, experience, we, we, we stayed in Krakow. And we went to a restaurant that we'd booked in the middle of Krakow. And when we got to the front door of the restaurant, the guy, um, again, it was this thing of, you know, no, 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 stop. Everybody stop. Everybody stop. And he was looking at the dog and looking at the wheelchair. And we thought, oh, here we go again. Mm. And he called out these two huge big fellas, like big bouncers. And they came up to the door and we thought, oh, here, this, this is just like Auschwitz now. We're going to have a big problem getting in here. But actually, what they wanted to do, <laughs> what they wanted to do was there was a couple of little steps in the restaurant. Now, they weren't big. They were easy to na- navigate. Mm. But what the restaurant owner wanted to do was to get these big bouncer fellas to actually bring Owen in. Oh, yeah. And, and so it was the it, it was opposite. the exact opposite mm. of what had happened in Auschwitz. And because myself and Owen thought, oh, here we go again. And then it turned out to be something very, very different. And the guys, you mean, they couldn't have been nicer. These two big, huge fellas, you know, they were really taken with Owen and with the dog and the whole thing. But we they had can a good be welcoming app. experiences, can't they, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the thing. So when you ask about what does Owen make of it? Uh, he's philosophical because for every negative experience you have, um, you also have positive ones. I suppose um, part of our, or part of my, our and own our campaign would be to try and ensure that it's always, it should always be positive. It should, it should never be negative. We'll be right back to our guest, but first we need a quick word from our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Valentine's Day is right around the corner and you need to make sure you're ready for that special day. Manscaped will sort you out because they have the right tools for your family jewels and all you have to do is drop the hint. If your loved one is struggling for a gift this year, just tell them. Head on over to manscaped.com, pop in the code WTSPOD, you get 20% off and free shipping. Trust us, it'll be a great gift for you and a great gift for them. Hit up for the Perfect Package 3.0. It is led by the third generation revolutionary trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, with its skin safe technology and its cutting edge ceramic blade. So you'll have no nicks, no tugs, no scratches. It's incredible. It really is. There's loads of bits and pieces in that uh, Perfect Package 3.0 to keep your town halls looking great, feeling great, and smelling great. Trust us, you won't be sorry. Head on over, manscaped.com, use the code WTSPOD. Get rid of that 80s retro bush. It's head trimming season, lads, and you need the lawnmower 3.0 to get you through. Manscaped.com, WTS, POD, 20% off, free shipping. Your balls will thank you. Back to our guest. Tom, when the last time we met, me, me and yourself were on a panel um, for uh, People Before Profit Night. For disability activism, I found the evening um, quite um, depressing, uh, and I mean, I, I mean that in a sense of the stories from the floor. Um, I thought that I felt I felt like why was I here in the sense that 
my um, discriminatory experiences within the state are nothing in comparison to some of the people that were on the floor that evening. Um, and I just want to, I just want to touch back on that uh, from your point of view. In as far as one, what did you feel? How did you feel about that experience? And two, has anything really changed since that? That was 2017, um, where we spoke at the Tara Towers Hotel for people before yeah. coffee. And I just personally, I don't think anything really has happened. No, I don't think so. I mean, if I was to say, has anything positive happened? Uh, well, since around about 2016, 2017, we got a Minister of State with responsibility for disabilities, uh, Vinnie McGrath. Yep. And um, I suppose that's a step in the right direction. Um, Ireland has ratified the UN Convention on the rights of persons with disabilities. That's a step in the right direction. But they need to ratify all of the protocols, including the reporting mechanism back to the United Nations so that Ireland can be held to account. So there have been some positive things. We we, we still have a minister with responsibility for disabilities, uh, Anne Rabbit, who I, I think is a genuine person who means well. Um, and that, that compares well with uh, back in 2011, 2012, when Leo Varadkar was Minister for Health, when he succeeded James Riley. You know, we made a couple of representations to the Department of Health and to Leo Varadkar's office back then. And we got a very, very hostile response, Graham. I mean, not from Leo Varadkar personally. We couldn't, we couldn't get to him. It was his advisors and uh, his private secretary at the time were very, very hostile and very rude. Why the hostility? Obnoxious. Well, what was put to me was, um, now, bear in mind, Graham, I grew up in Finglas. Um, I was in the army for 12 years. I know what rough is. I mean, I know what rough is. And they were dog rough. They were really appalling. Appalling people who um, met my inquiries and my questions with remarks like, so you want to jump the queue, do you? You want to get to the top of the list, is it? You think you're special? And so I actually had to say to his private secretary at the time, I had to say to him, listen, I'm a, I'm a citizen. I'm a parent of a, a, a child who has an illness. Um, I'm trying to do my best for him. Do, do you think it's appropriate for you to speak to me like this? And his response was, all right, so we're best friends now. We're best mates. Jeez. I mean, it, it was like, it was like, it, you, you couldn't make it up. I mean, it was just a part. Now, so that was a dark moment, I would say, in the immediate aftermath of the financial crash and the beginning of austerity. Um, and there was, a, I think there was a very ugly dynamic in play um, in Irish government and just a hor- you know, very horrible attitude towards public services in general and the vulnerable in particular. Mm. Um, now, when I make those kinds of inquiries, um, people aren't hostile or rude. Now, they might be a bit indifferent um, and a little bit uh, lacking in enthusiasm for helping you to solve a problem. But yeah. at least at least they're no longer uh, rude. So I think there has been a bit of a change in our public discourse for the good where people are beginning to realise, I think, 
that issues around disability or difference are not medical issues. They're not something shameful or something around charity, but are actually, excuse me, they're actually fundamental uh, human rights issues. So, so there are some positive things I would, I would say, uh, you know, coming from a very low base baseline. Yeah. Um, but in terms of our lived experience, um, it's it's pretty hit and miss. I mean, Owen, because of Owen's illness, he, he needs a lot of therapeutic support, even at this age. He needs, um, yeah, he, need, he needs a bit of proactive engagement, which, which isn't there. Uh, so in terms of physiotherapy, occupational therapy, uh, clinical supports, uh, equipment and things like that, um, that that's very lacking, uh, almost non-existent. But that's not the fault of individual uh, therapists or clinicians or service providers. It's just a function of the you know the running down of public services during austerity and uh the, you know there's a huge need that it, an unmet need so these therapists are under huge pressure um and and i suppose that the rest of the population is getting a little flavor of that now with covid when they see intensive care units you know we've got the lowest ratio of icu beds per head of population in in western europe We've got the lowest number of intensive care specialists and anaesthetists and uh, ED consultants. So as a result, we're constantly going from one lockdown to the next. So the kind of space that most citizens find themselves in now, and they're kind of really puzzled by it and going, oh, there's no end to lockdown. This is something that our community have experienced for decades, you know, like where yeah. you can't go here and you can't go there because there's no public transport or because it's not accessible or because you're just not well enough to go because or you don't have the, you know, you're you're in a wheelchair and it's too small for you or it doesn't have an accessible toilet or, you know. So I'd like to be more positive, but no, I, I would say there there has been an improvement and things are going in the right direction. Um, but it's still it's still very, very tough. And I saw there was a, an article in the Irish Times last year which showed that this was in February of uh, 2020, just before COVID, which showed that Ireland is one of the worst countries in the European Union to have a disability. Yeah. On, on every measurement from social isolation to poverty, to homelessness, to suboptimal medical outcomes and so on. And I think that's shameful. It is I shameful. Think, yeah. And I think we should, our aim and our objective should be to be the best country in Europe or in the European Union to have a disability. That, yeah. that should be the situation. Not, why not why is that not the target for any country? You were talking about there about um, the tourists in Auschwitz uh, that had empathy for the situation that you experienced. And you said the Swedish tourists. Um, it's my understanding that Sweden uh, is very accommodating for people with disabilities in all their public buildings, their public transport, pubs, restaurants, hospitality. Um, um, am I there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The government set an initiative a couple of years ago where they wanted to make it access for all, <clears throat> and they gave businesses a deadline whereby they had to adapt, they had to change, um, uh, or, or else face fines. 
Now that's to me is demonstrates an amazing political will from those politicians. And in my experience, I'm now 36, and in my experience, through any government um, in my lifetime that I've experienced with any cases or any um, correspondence that I've had with ministers or whatever, there's just, they lack empathy and they lack the political will to, to want to make the change. And it's beyond frustrating. I remember years ago um, when it came to the CAO, I was just having a look at colleges and I real I was cont- contemplating a certain college, but I was like, how will I get there? There's no public transport for me to get there. And I contacted Seamus Brennan at the time um, in 2002, 2003. And he sent me back an email. It was him. Well, it was his signature. No doubt it was his, it was his advisors or whatever. But it was just a completely dismissive correspondence and it was basically, can you get in touch with Dublin Bus or Irish Rail? And I'm kind of like, you are the Minister for Transport. Like, mm. uh, And then when I got in touch with, say, Dublin Bus, they were saying, oh, we don't have any plans for a bus route in your area until 2008. And then I went on holidays. I went to the tabloids um, that summer about the situation. I sent them the letters. And then when I came back from the holidays, um, the bus route on my area was now fully accessible because I went to the tabloids, yeah. and that was that. So, so the bus route was was achievable six years ahead of time because I went to the tabloids. Mm. Like it's just so so frustrating, and even I think I think the the, the experience I've had with the opposition, like Richard Boy Barrett, um like the Social Democrat uh, candidate, which I can't quite remember his name, but he's he's very impressive. Um, Angus O'Shnodic in the past, uh, Michael Nolan in the past, they all express a desire to help, but they haven't really been able to help because none of them have ever been elected to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so well, it's like... I, I, I wonder about it, Graham, because like, um, I, I really admired... Um, the whole yes equality campaign for marriage equality, which is a human a human rights campaign in Ireland for the LGBTI community, really a wonderful moment for Ireland, uh, uh, something that we can all be very very proud of. And what the LGBTI uh, Q uh, community did was they mobilised the straight community to vote yes in a radical yes equality campaign yeah and the straight community for want of a better expression they didn't vote yes because they felt sorry for the lgbtqi uh, community they didn't do it because they thought they were going to do them a favor or because they were uh, you know they did it because they knew it was the right thing to do it was a fundamental human rights issue and the same with the mar- uh, with the reproductive rights referendum the repeal the eight again uh, they mobilized the whole community and society to do the right thing for women brilliant but it's really hard to get people to do the right thing for all of us in this community um, and i don't know why that is and i wonder is it something to do with our catholic guilt or shame there's some weird irish thing about disability they don't like us they're afraid of us it's like fear 
I don't know what it is. And they don't celebrate people um, who are different by way of disability or additional needs or whatever the phrase is. They're not they're not proud of people like my son. They don't see the potential um, they see us as a problem. And I think part of the challenge um, I know, I, like in the last couple of years being involved in this space, um, it's very fragmented. So you've got a huge division between intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. There's yep. a lot of silos and a lot of competing. We need to have a massive radical nationwide campaign to mobilize the so-called able community in the same way that the LGBTIQ community mobilized the straight community to do the right thing. We need to mobilize the so-called able community to do the right thing for not, not just for us, but for the whole of society. And Ireland should be the best country in Europe, if not the world, to have a disability. We should be world leaders and we should be proud of it. With those uh, examples there of the repeal and, and the marriage referendum, Tom, like like you're saying that the, the, as I said, want of a better term, the straight community got behind both campaigns. But for us disabled people, we don't have a campaign to get behind. So I'd have no doubt that people would get behind us. But yeah. th there, were, there was a vote, there was a referendum, there was two referendums. So what could we ask them to get behind? As in like, a, a change in the constitution, a change in, like, as you said there, we ratified the UN protocol, but we left the most important option out. Like, it means nothing if they're leaving that option out where I can, where I, hereby, I, I me or Owen can't complain about infrastructure or about, yeah. or about anything. So what, 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 yeah, what, that, that, what would we be going to the, the doors? Question. Yeah. Well, that's, the, that's the question I'm struggling. And, um, over the last couple of years, I, identified some key people in the repeal of the eight campaign and in the uh, marriage equality, the yes equality campaign. And I asked them for their advice. And this was the quest. This was the answer. They said, we as a community need to come up with something like a, a, a kind of a, an idea or a principle that people can get behind mm. something that is straightforward, uh, doable. So one one of them said, like even have an accessibility to public transport, that every vehicle should have a ramp that allows. Yeah, but now I know that's focusing in on 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 wheelchairs and physical disability. But they're saying it's it's these small incremental wins that that people can get their head around that will push you in the right direction. But I, I, I'm I'm more of the you see, these are the kinds of things that DFI, Disability Foundation Ireland, and Inclusion Ireland have been doing all this really hard work on these things for years. Small, slow, incremental change. But I would say that is not working because our lived experience shows that things are getting worse for us yeah. in, in our lives. So I think we have to come up with something really radical. Yeah, and and maybe it is to campaign for that protocol that the government didn't ratify something like that um, to be um, ratified. Or perhaps, yeah, maybe we should be looking at the Constitution and uh, something around the inalienable human rights of all of our citizens, irrespective of 
their physical or intellectual so called even the building the building situation when 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 uh, developers are building new estates like a friend of mine uh, only found this out maybe before Christmas and told me he went down to Dunleary Ratdown County Council for information about his house and it's in, basically one of the, the the rules for the developers is that 100% of a new 100% of new build houses have to be visible by a p- person with a disability so I've noticed certainly with friends that have bought new builds that I can get in and out quite easy and there's a downstairs bathroom. Danny's new house is a down, big, gorgeous downstairs bathroom. Um, so 100% of the houses have to be visible. So the downstairs has to be accessible. But 0% have to, don't, like, none of them have to be habitable. Yeah. So how is that even equal? How is that, like, how is that even allowed? How is, who was, who was saying... What politician or what person in charge of the building side is saying is signing off on this and saying yes, that's acceptable? Mm. It's just it's it's just bonkers. It's it's beggar's belief when you go into the crux of it and you you find out all these laws or lack of laws and you're kind of going. So you're saying I can't live in in the brand new estate in, in on the south side of 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 Dublin, and I can't live in any of those houses. And I think what the the suggestion is is that the downstairs sitting room you could have as a bedroom and you have access to the downstairs bathroom. But sure, that's only habitable enough. Is uh, sorry, that's only visible and not habitable. Mm. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, we've a bit of a way to go. But like, I suppose the only thing we can do is just keep being vocal. Yeah, exactly. Um, like that's before, it. we spoke the last time I ran for election in 2016. Mm. I ran for election last year in the general election to. Trinity um, didn't succeed, but increased the vote a little bit. Um, so, I mean, I'm hoping personally at some point to get up into Leinster House. <clears throat> and uh, if I ever got in there, I would hope to be like a Jack Russell at a bag of sausages. Just keep snapping <laughs> at it and just persecute everybody up there. Really? Uh, they'll be behind you. Yeah. And that, so that that's the hope. But look, all we can do is um, be optimistic and be positive and constructive. And I know I remember that night in the Tara Towers Hotel. Yeah. Mm. And it was it was a bit it was it was sad, it was bleak. But uh but I suppose at least we were all there together. And in fairness to Richard Boyd Barrett, you know, he he organized it. And in his own way, you know, Richard is very energetic and I, like he, I I I know I know that Richard actually cares. Yeah. But as you said yourself uh, he, he hasn't been in government yet, but you know we may see a change politically in the next couple of years. I do think that people like Mary Lou Macdonald, um, who's a mother who has children, um, who is uh, probably more socially minded than some of our other uh, public representatives. Who knows? We, you know, we might Sinn Fein might get into coalition with one of the more established parties, and actually shoehorn them into doing the right thing yeah. for our community yeah. i mean that I, I, in the absence of any other experience or uh, expectation that that'd be my hope but, but definitely hope well. there, there have been improvements and and as i think it was martin luther king said you know the overarching the overarching arc of the universe tends towards justice mm. so you know things things can only get better for sure in Ireland, they certainly can't get worse exactly yeah. 
Um, Tom, we're, we're just about out of time. Before we let you go, um, if I can get you to, to just change hats for a minute, um, away from being a parent and an activist, and just your, your, your security analyst head, if I can borrow that for a moment. I'm just very curious to get uh, a brief insight into your thoughts on what we've seen in America over the last couple of weeks and what you make of the storm at the Capitol and, and what the aftermath might be. Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, I think... Um you know, people laughed at the at the Nazis. They laughed at people like uh, Goebbels, and um, they they laughed at Hitler. They thought he was a joke, in the same way that people are inclined, perhaps, to laugh at Trump. Um, but really, it was the people around Go- uh, Goebbels, it was the people in the background behind Adolf Hitler, that allowed um, Germany, one of the greatest democracies and centers of cultural uh, leadership and education like Europe the center of civilization in Europe was Germany Mm -hmm. and it was um, corrupted by these very negative forces and their own inequality, poverty populism um, so those forces we saw them writ large in the United States and I think we came very, very close to a crisis. Um, I think with the storming of the Capitol, I know that there has been criticism of the police for allowing the protesters in, and some of the police even posed for photographs with the with the protesters or whatever word you want to use to describe them. But if they, if they had killed or opened fire and created martyrs, we, we could be in a very different space today. I think that would have set cities all over the United States on fire. We were very lucky. We came very, very close. The Biden presidency doesn't mean that those forces have gone away. So I do hope that the next four years under Joe Biden, that there's greater healing, cross-party cooperation with Mitch, Mitch McConnell between Republicans and Democrats, less polarity. And I think the lesson for us in Ireland is, you know, I don't want to see an Ireland where the only two parties left standing are Fine Gael on the right and Sinn Féin on the left, because that will that will just, you know, we'll end up in a polarity similar to what we've just seen in the United States. I think um, we have to learn to kind of be in dialogue with one another and to accept uh, and agree to disagree. I don't like this cancel culture thing of you know, immediately obliterating somebody that you don't agree with, because that was the kind of meta-narrative and a priori thinking that uh, characterised Germany in the 1930s and much of Europe. Um, On the big challenges, though, for Ireland, um, Mm -hmm. in the next 10 years, we are going to have an all-Ireland entity, whether we like it or not, irrespective of a border poll. Scotland is going to go independent guarantee it whether they're not going to wait for permission from Westminster to have a referendum on independence they'll do what Catalonia did in Spain they're going to go ahead and do it anyway the English do not want Northern Ireland they're not interested in it they don't want to pay for it anymore Boris Johnson made that really really clear and mm. uh, we had a headline in the Telegraph earlier in during the summer of 2020 when it said what are we paying for Northern Ireland for so we're we're going to have an all-island entity here, whether we like it or not. And that's going to be the biggest security challenge for Ireland, for all of us in the next 10 years. Because I hear some journalists 
say, oh, it'll be like the reunification of West Germany and East Germany. No, it won't. Ireland is more like the Balkans or the former Yugoslavia. And the, and having seen that at first hand, I would say we need to be really, really careful and we need to reach out to everybody in this island and try and figure out how are we going to make a success of it? Because I think if we put the work in and if we embrace all of our brothers and sisters from the different traditions, um, I think Ireland could be a huge success story. But if we if we get it wrong, um, as we know from our recent history, it could be it could be very ugly. So that's why I don't like that kind of polarity that we saw uh, yeah. in the United States. And you know, hopefully that will begin to uh, ameliorate. Absolutely, yeah. History teaches us lessons every day, and I think. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, yeah, it's it's certainly an angle I hadn't thought of, but uh, we could spend another three hours, four hours, five hours, another series of podcasts talking to you about that one. Yeah. Um, but I think, but I think for tonight, well, it's it's going to happen, and we need to talk about it. And you know, mm. when I hear political leaders saying now is not the time to talk about it, or we shouldn't talk about it, or when is the time? Absolutely, we need to talk about it. I think a good way forward would be to have a citizens' assembly, and to invite yeah. people from Northern Ireland, you know, from all the communities, and say, look, guys. How are we going to move forward together and celebrate our traditions? You know, if we could have the 12th as a major tourism attraction, like St. Patrick's Day Festival in Dublin. Great. You know, let's make something positive out of it. Um, because the people might laugh at that suggestion, Tom, but I, I, I don't think it's going to like obviously be comparable to St. Patrick's Day worldwide. But people will laugh at that suggestion of celebrating July 12th. But the reality is, to take a, a phrase, a cliche from from northern politicians, um, it is the reality is, we are going to have to accommodate that in a, a united Ireland. Mm. We are going to have to accommodate marches. We are going to have to accommodate the, the bonfires on July twelfth. And there's no two ways about it. We can't just live in this hatred, um, this flag culture of hatred for yeah. for the rest of our generations. You know what I mean? And I agree with you. A lot of that is just based on fear. I mean, the, the yeah. unionist traditions and their communities are they're great people, wonderful people. And we, we have so much in common, as we do with the English. Yeah. Like, and we've we've more, we've something like, I don't know, something like 20 million Irish living in, in what is now Britain, the Union, yeah. the United Kingdom. And that union is beginning to disintegrate. Brexit was one of the steps on the way. And we as a nation, we have to wake up to the fact that the union of Britain, England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, that is breaking up. And that's why I say, whether we like it or not, this is not to do with a border poll. This is mm. to do with the reality that we're all going to be shoehorned in to one entity in the next 10 years. And we need to start thinking, how are we all going to live together peacefully and successfully? And that's yeah. possible. So it, it'd be a sin not to do it. Absolutely. Anyway. Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lads, if you, if you want to hear more from Tom, you can check out Twitter at Tom Clonan. Um, it's always a pleasure, Tom. So thanks very much for your time. Uh, wish Owen all the best to leave and share it for us as well. Hope thanks very welcome. much. Thank you. Uh, but and say hello to Leahy and Duke as well. <laughs> I will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Listen, guys, thanks very much. An absolute pleasure. Thanks, thanks so much, Tom. Thank you. Take care. Brilliant chat, as always, with Tom. Really, really enjoyed that. As always. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and that's about all we have time for this week, lads, because myself and Mero want to bail off, get dinner and watch the United match. So, uh, 
we'll uh, we'll leave it there. If, if you want to listen to any other other episodes, of course, you can uh, get us on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, anywhere and everywhere. There's a podcast. Just search WTS Pod, and we're there. Go to manscape.com. Use the code WTS Pod to get twenty percent off and free shipping. That's us for this week, Graham. Until next week. You know you were hungry. You were rushing through that. Absolutely. Clear eyes. Full hearts. And news. Too sweet.